We're going to read from God's Word in the book of Romans, chapter 9, found in the Pew Bible on page 917. I'll begin at verse 16. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people, who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one, who is not my loved one. And... In the very place where it was said to to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Good morning. I feel the need to say to you up front 
as I scatter my disorganised notes before me. <coughs> that there, are, there is much here in what you've just heard from Bev's reading that is unresolved for me, both um, intellectually and emotionally. And I think that I could spend a lot of time uh, chewing this over, wrestling with it, and still be in the same place. Um, but I take heart because, to some extent, there, there are things here that are unresolvable, at least emotionally unresolvable, because Paul is not emotionally resolved with it himself. So he's looking at the fact that been following, if you've been following our series, that um, God's people, the Israelites, have finally received the promised Messiah, Christ. And through all that they have been through as a nation, through um, slavery in Egypt, the Exodus, through the periods of the judges and the kings, through the exile, through the return from exile, and all the while this promise hangs, I will send you a deliverer, I will send you a saviour, I will send you a king. And the king comes and Israel reject and crucify their king. And not only that, but they continue to reject their king. <clears throat> including, I must say, Paul was also someone who had rejected Christ and was actually roaring around trying to drag all of the uh, Christians he could find um, into jail. And he stood by while he saw Stephen stoned to death because he was a believer in Jesus. And we know the story that the Lord got a hold of Paul stopped him in his tracks and he believed that Jesus was the Messiah and he started to preach. And he started to preach to the Jews. Of course, the Jewish Messiah needs to be preached to the Jews and he would roar around the country now as, um, as a servant of Jesus proclaiming Christ the Messiah to the Jews. And... It says in the book of Acts, chapter 18, starting from verse 5, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so he goes to the Gentiles and they flood in. And so now the churches, the people of God, are made up of a few Jews and many non-Jews, Gentiles. And people look at this, particularly people who um, are Jewish, and it's upsetting because God's promise was given to us. Has God's promise failed? Has God's word failed? 
and David addressed that last week, that God hasn't failed in his uh, bringing Israel through into their promise, but true Israel are those who believe, those who believe the promise. It's a spiritual nation, not a physical nation as the people of God. And God then goes on to explain, look at Esau and Jacob. Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. And so it's got nothing to do with the effort or the will of people, but according to God who chooses in mercy. But then the response comes, well, that's unfair. That's unfair if it's all up to God's choice. If it's all up to God's choice who belongs to him and who doesn't, is God fair? Has that question ever crossed your heart or mind before? Is God fair? Paul was thinking about his brothers, the Jews, and his heart had unceasing anguish. As I said, even as he explains all this, it's unresolved in his heart, as it should be. And those you love are outside of the family of God. And yet we have to wrestle with it, don't we? We have to ask, we have to be honest with God. In fact, I'm encouraged as I read this that it's okay for us to come to God with our unresolved questions. There was um, a person you may know called Abraham who had an unresolved question in his heart about God. So what's God's attitude to those um, to people who come to him with the question of his fairness, of his justice, particularly when it comes to who belongs to him, who is saved, and who doesn't belong to him, those who are not saved. And the question is actually made more difficult, not easier for me, when I read that Paul says about Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. That's easy. <laughs> but then he hardens whom he wants to harden. And so are we involved in this kind of stage play where the Lord is hardening some so that he can punish them and having mercy on others and nothing you or I can do anything about it. And how does that affect us when we think of the people that we know and love who many people who are more godly than us who reject the gospel? More godly, I mean in terms of when I look at myself, there's all sorts of struggles and inclinations and, and behaviours that I'm still yet to be conformed to Christ and yet I look at other people and why me, Lord? Why, why would I know your mercy? Why would I have come into your kingdom? 
and why are they seem to be hardened against you? Have you ever wrestled with that? Well, there are two ways to wrestle with the question of God's justice. And actually, there are two questions in our passage, two different ways of asking the question. The first one, verse 14, what shall we say then? Is God unjust? Is God unjust? And Paul goes on to address that question. But then later on, verse 19, one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? So there are two ways of talking to God when we come across the issues of his fairness and how we feel about that. We can point the finger at God in our anger and blame him for the hardness in our own heart. Or we can come in honesty and vulnerability and boldness and say, God, I don't understand this. This just seems so wrong. Help me to understand. And as we do the latter and not the former, that's where God meets with us and grows us in our understanding, not of everything, but what we need the most, and that is in our understanding of him, of who he is. There are some things that we may never understand, but there are certain things that God really wants us to understand, and that is about him. So let's go back to Abraham for a minute. <clears throat> Abraham was faced with this question himself. Now, where is it on my notes? Ah, there it is. So we're in Genesis chapter 18. <coughs> and the Lord said, the Lord takes Abraham into his confidence, chapter 18, verse 20, and says, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Now, Abraham must have had some sense of the seriousness of what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. And perhaps there was something in the tone of what the Lord said to him, that he had this great concern for the cities. But he also had this great concern over God. Here is Almighty God going over to a naughty city and what's going to be the outcome. Do you know how you may or may not have experienced a child acting up in front of a parent whose character you're not sure of? And you could be excused for thinking, I really hope this parent doesn't overreact. I think we've all seen unstable parents overreact come to my house. And um, <laughs> thanks for laughing. I really was worried there for a second. I thought, uh-oh, someone's going to make go make a phone call after this. <coughs> Is God like an unstable parent that you have to keep inside yourself some kind of concern that he's, he's going uh, gonna to lose it here? Or for some of you, the concern in your heart might be God is going to be too indifferent here. 
What is God like? That's the question. Can, can I trust God with how he's going to react, with how he's going to respond? And so Abraham is faced with this dilemma. Here is God. I'm worried about what's going to happen here. Do I say something or do I not? And for some of us, when we wrestle with who God is in our heart, we choose to just kind of squash it down, to shut it down and to say, God is God, I've got no right to even speak and I'm just going to have to miserably get through my Christian life. Put up and shut up. Or on the other hand, we can harden our heart, point our finger at God, yell in his face and accuse him of uh, what we assume about him. But there's a third option and that's the option that Abraham chooses. He chooses to boldly go to God in his honesty and his vulnerability and to ask a question. Let's look at it together. Verse 22, the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Doesn't that sound like the question that Paul poses? Is God unjust? Does it sound a bit like what Abraham's asking? Will not the judge of all the earth do right? So what happens? He brings the question and he places it before the Lord's feet and he waits for the answer. And the Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Okay, so if there's 50 people in the city, God's not going to destroy it. Is God just? Is God just? Well, you say God is just, but Abraham wasn't satisfied, actually, because he was still concerned, and he spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. Do you hear the deep respect in Abraham here? This is an example to us. He's been so bold as to speak, but he recognises that he is nothing but dust and ashes. God is creator. We are creation. And that's what Paul says. If you're sticking your finger in God's face and yelling at him, you've got to, you've got to take perspective here. Will the clay say to the potter, what do you think you're doing? That's not Abraham's attitude. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Is God just? Abraham's still not satisfied that God is just. And Abraham says, what if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? And God says, if there's 10 people, I'm not going to destroy it. So did Abraham, through prayer, haggle God down so that he didn't destroy the city? He did destroy the city. And he mercifully rescued Lot and his family from there. But it wasn't a matter of 
Abraham haggling with God. It was a matter of Abraham having the boldness and the humility to come before God to wrestle with this issue of his justice and to learn of his mercy. He learned more of what God is like. We won't learn what God is like by shutting it down and not asking the question. And we won't learn what God is like when we keep him at an angry distance and pointing our finger in his face. We bring our wrestle to him in boldness through Christ and in humility because he is our creator. So having said that, let's look now at this whole issue of God hardening those whom he chooses to harden and having mercy on those whom he chooses to have mercy. Let's look, first of all, at Pharaoh. If you would like to turn with me, you can come with me to Exodus chapter 9, verse 13, because that's where Paul is quoting from. What's happened up until this point, God's people, Israel, have been slaves for centuries. And they're slaves uh, in Egypt for 400 years, would you believe? And God, in the midst of their suffering, is working his purpose. We had a Bible study here on, on Friday um, and one of the beautiful things that came out of that was that it, while Israel could not see anything but misery and difficulty in another place, God was working out his plan to save them. So Moses was plucked from the river. Out of all the boys that were drowned, Moses was plucked from the river. He grew up in Pharaoh's own house, tried to save his people, his people rejected him. He ran away and then God called him. God chose him and God sent him and he went to Pharaoh and he said, God says, let his people go. And Pharaoh refuses a number of times and then we get uh, and, and a number of plagues have already come up upon Egypt and then we come to chapter 9, verse 13. The Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says, Let my people go, so that they may worship me, or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So <clears throat> if God in his justice responds to Pharaoh in his hardness, then what is the result for Pharaoh? Pharaoh is dead. He has hardened his heart numerous times to God. <clears throat> and the just response of God is to what could have been to wipe Pharaoh out. 
But God is working out his purpose to proclaim his name throughout the earth, even through a hard-hearted man like Pharaoh. But you ask, yes, but he's hard because of God. Is he? Is he? If you read through, I encourage you to read through the story and you'll find that it's actually worded fairly clearly about whose heart, who is hardening Pharaoh's heart and at what time. And Pharaoh, when Moses goes to Pharaoh and challenges him to let God's people go, the scripture says, and Pharaoh hardened his own heart. This is at chapter 8, verse 15. Chapter 8, verse 32 Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Chapter 9, verse 34, and Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Then God comes in and he says, I could have wiped you out, Pharaoh, but I have, I'm going to work my purpose through you. And God in his patience endures with Pharaoh and then hardens Pharaoh's heart. God hardens his heart so that he will follow through and God can show his full power and proclaim his name throughout the earth so that people would know that this is a God who is almighty, who is not to be hardened against. But when they look at his people and this great salvation that he works for them in bringing them to their own land, they can say, this God is not just a God of almighty power, but he is a God of salvation, of mercy for those who trust in him. For those who follow him as he leads, there is salvation. So Paul asks the question, is God just? Well, God is just, but thankfully God is not only just, but he is also patient. He patiently endures, as the scripture says, What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? And so God endures with those who harden themselves against him and he works his purposes even through them. Which reminds me of some other people who hardened themselves against God centuries later. Herod, Pontius Pilate and the religious leaders. And they conspired together against Jesus and they crucified him. Why didn't God just wipe out Herod? Why didn't he just destroy the religious leaders? He endured patiently with them, despite their hardness, in order to accomplish his purpose, which the Bible says he had already decided beforehand. It's one of my favourite verses in the whole Bible where Paul says, uh, sorry, 
um, Peter says, Herod and Pontius Pilate, together with the leaders of your people, conspired together against your holy servant Jesus to accomplish what your will had determined beforehand should happen. And what is that will? What is that purpose that God had decided beforehand? That his son would be crucified. Do you want to see the justice of God? Do you want to know if God is just? Here is where we see the justice of God. On a Roman cross where his precious innocent son is crucified for his own sin? No. But he absorbs in himself the full justice of God. Do you really want justice from God for yourself? Thank God. He has meted out his justice on his son. In order to proclaim his name throughout all the earth. And what is his name? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now, the Israelites who are crying out, this isn't fair. The Gentiles are coming in. And we are missing out. And God says, if you had really experienced my justice, you actually would have been just the same as Sodom and Gomorrah. You just wouldn't have even existed as a nation. And I think about Dale Skews. And I think about the fact that of all the people, of all the places that I could have been born, of all the families I could have been part of, God in his mercy sets me in a beautiful place and he presents before me his path. And Dale Skews, in his anger and rebellion, walks this way. And God in his mercy called me. He convicted me of my sin and he brought about this repentance. And now I stand before you as someone who says, by the mercy of God, I belong to Christ. Yes, because of justice, but not because I have deserved it, but because the justice that was headed in Dale Skews's direction has been taken by Christ because I've put my trust in him. Have I resolved this dilemma of God's election of those to be saved, not in my mind, but I'm so grateful that it's God who's in charge and not human beings, that it depends upon his mercy and not human will or effort. If this morning you have detected in your heart either a, a passiveness, kind of like a passive-aggressive, I guess, where you say, I hate this dilemma, I don't understand it, and I'm just going to forget it. Or an active aggressive, <laughs> God, I hate what you do, I don't believe you are just, and I am keeping my distance. 
then I invite you as we sing this last song to be like Abraham and to say, God, there are things I don't understand and there is unresolved pain in my heart and I'm bringing it to you and I'm trusting you with it and I'm wrestling it through it with you because I want to know you more. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you are patient. I know, Lord, you could have, your anger could have burned against me. The fact, Lord, that the earth is still spinning with people on it is a testament to your mercy. But Lord, your justice, your final and swift justice is coming upon the earth. And there are, there are many, Lord, who have not received your mercy. Lord, it, it pains our heart. And if it doesn't pain our heart enough, Lord, may it pain our heart more. But help that pain not to cripple us, Lord, but to motivate us, please. In all of our weakness that your name would be proclaimed throughout Wagga, your name of mercy. By your mercy, Lord, that we would be part, a powerful part of that. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.